Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day, the world is changing, and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. Milind, firstly, I just want to say it's an absolute pleasure to host you on Procurement Reimagined today. Thanks for having me. If you can explain to me, as though I'm a five-year-old, what you do. My kids used to ask me this question when they were young. Dad, what do you do? And my answer used to be, I get paid to do shopping for Devo and Nickstoff. So it's a pretty cool job where you get paid to do shopping. In a way, I kind of, let's take a simple example if you want to buy a car. Right. If you want to buy a car, then you will kind of start looking at how do you want your car to look like? What are your requirements? Right. When it will be available? You know, what model, what color? You know, it should be in a working condition. It should fit your budget. Right. So you do all of it and then you go out, do some research, find some dealers, identify your brand and you kind of then go ahead and place the order. Of course, you would then negotiate in between. So in very simple terms, that's what I do. I do next off. I'm responsible for global procurement and my key role is to help the business buy products and services at the right price from the right place at the right time and at the right terms and conditions. Yeah. Don't envy anyone having to try and answer that question. We've been asking this question now, maybe for like the last 10 guests. And it's so varied, but like your answer is very, like people in procurement often default to another sort of buy-in analogy. And it is the simplest way. Because I think even a five-year-old, at least my five-year-old son, now understands about buying and like, oh, actually you need money. And oh, actually you need to figure out what you want before you go and buy it. Otherwise you're probably going to get stuck with something you don't want. So it is a good way to look at it. Albert Einstein, if uh, I know, said it very aptly, I think he said, if I remember it correctly, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself, right? So that's the beauty of it. So if you can't explain it, then yeah. just don't know what you are doing. Hopefully I kind of tried to simplify it, but yeah, we do. It's a very oversimplified version, I believe, of what we as procurement professionals do. But yeah, it should capture the essence of it. But certainly, and at times, our colleagues, our stakeholders, don't always understand what procurement does either. So just having that in your arsenal of communication tools is a very good one to have just to explain the value of procurement. And maybe talking about the value of procurement, like how would you define value creation in the context of procurement millend? For me, I'd like to start by putting one fact on the table or giving one real life case, right? I'm sure all of us yeah. heard about Kodak moment, right? Eastman Kodak, if you go back a decade in, I think in January 2012, Eastman Kodak filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy. And it was the end of an era of one of, I believe, one of the greatest innovators, a company that touched lives of millions of people with the famous Kodak moment. I'm sure all of us have heard of the Kodak moment. From 2007 to 2012, their revenue kind of went half and then they had to file for chapter 11. The reason why they went bankrupt was not because of lack of innovation, was not because they did not have any interest in the photographic business. The very thing that kind of got them to bankruptcy was the thing which they invented, that's the digital technology, right? The digital photography. Say they, it was Kodak who invented digital technology 37 years ago. In 1975, they invented that very technology which they were 
fear of accepting it. And the fear was very simply that it would cannibalize their very lucrative film business, right? And why I give this analogy is VS procurement, I believe, at a similar crossroads. For last few years or last couple of decades, procurement has done wonderful stuff in terms of centralization, in terms of cost savings, in terms of taking benefits of their low inflation or deflation, I would say, low cost sourcing. Everything that we've done has worked and has delivered value for the organization. But if you look at it today, especially what has happened in last three years. We talk about pandemic. We talk about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We talk about Brexit. We talk about, you know, the geopolitical tensions between US and China. A lot of it has changed and the macroeconomic conditions continue to strain the entire supply chains across the globe, right? Be it if we talk about inflationary pressures across the globe are hype. You know, the scare of a looming recession is kind of worrying everybody. If you look at the port congestion, yes, they have improved a little bit, but they still continue to be a big challenge. So all of these conditions put together are putting procurement in a very precarious situation, I would say, because what we've done in the past, if we continue to do it that fashion, we would become redundant. But it also provides us with an opportunity to reinvent and reinvigor ourselves, redesign the operating model, which will then deliver back value to the organization. So I think we are at a crossroads like what Kodak was. If we continue to refuse the accept the change that's likely to come in, then we would become redundant. But if we accept it, then it opens a plethora of opportunities for us. And that's where I believe value creation becomes very important as a concept. Because historically, as I said, it's for us as procurement guys, value is become has been focused more around just savings, how much you can save. But that's not the only means through which a company or a function can add value. And if you just look at mathematically, value is utility divided by the cost, right? Very simplistic speaking. And cost is something which we can always measure. But utility is a very subjective term, I would say, right? I say value or utility is in the eyes of the beholder. Something might be useful to you, but it might not be useful to me. So it's a multidimensional concept from a value perspective that enables or that allows procurement guys to use multiple tools in their repertoire and drive value for the organization in context of the organization because it value is not to be looked at it in isolation. You know, it is always in context of the organization, in context of the business objective that you are trying to achieve and in context of the business environment that you are in. So a company are operating in the same or two companies operating in the same sector, having the same market condition, something might be important for a company X, but it may completely be irrelevant for company Y. So that's where I would say value comes in or value creation from a procurement standpoint comes in. Yeah, I like that, Milind. And I also like that you alluded to the point that value creation can be different, even same sector, almost two identical looking companies playing in the same area. The idea of what's valuable can be different. I've seen a lot of chatter online around this notion of value creation. And I'd almost go so far to say it's polarizing procurement professionals in some way in that you've got the, what I would term like the old guard, right? Which is the first definition you game of, they're focused on cost reduction and those elements and it's worked for many years and it's been incredible. And then the changes now, of, like you said, the last three years have been wild, <laughs> really is the probably the only way to put it. It calls for new skills and new ideas to come through. And it almost does seem to be these two camps that are at times against one another in terms of what value procurement is driving. But it's so hard to explain the value add piece without context. I think everyone can intuitively feel what the, the value add is. But it, yeah, it's a difficult one. I wanted to ask the next question, I'll kind of start a bit broadly here, Bilent, in that you also see this idea of a trusted partner sort of coinciding with this idea of value generation. Could you kind of talk about your ideas around this? 
So, so for me, Daniel, value creation and being a trusted partner are two sides of the same coin, the coin which I call it as procurement, right? And the worth of the coin is determined by how well the procurement function carries out these two roles of being a trusted partner and a value creation. So being a trusted partner, I don't think is a new concept, to be very honest. You've, you know, you would have heard HR business partners, you would have heard finance business partners, but you don't hear procurement partners. So what I've started calling my teams as, you know, special the global category leads as procurement partners, procurement business partners, not global category leads, because that then limits the scope of being a partner, you know, to the business. I would kind of give the definition of how to become a trusted partner, you know, from this book called The Trusted Advisor by David Meister. You know, he gives a very beautiful equation of how to create trust. So he says, trust is to reliability, credibility, intimation divided by self-orientation. What does it mean? First, reliability, right? If you want to be a really a trusted partner, you need to have high reliability. So let's take an example. If you are meeting up with your stakeholder, an executive for the first time, and you say that you will reach at 9 a.m. and you turn up at 9.50, your credibility or your reliability is out of the window even before you establish your credentials with him, right? So even very small, even though it sounds very innocuous, it plays a big role. You know, if you want to build a partnership, you want to become a partner, improve, you have to have a high level of reliability. Do what you say, say what you do. I call it as measure the do-say yeah. ratio, right? You know, it's the do-say ratio, which is very important. That's factor number one. Second factor of being a trusted partner is credibility. And credibility stems from your functional expertise to start with, right? People, you know, your stakeholders are likely to believe you or listen to you if they believe in your credentials, if they believe in your subject matter expertise, if they believe that you are an authority on the subject. So it's very important that as an individual and as a team, you need to build your subject matter expertise. You need to build your functional capabilities because then that becomes the base on which you can build upon. So second is build your credential, build your credibility. The third one to me is build an emotional connect. You are not going to make best friends or best buddies with your stakeholders all the time. But that does not mean that you cannot build emotional connect or you cannot build relationships with your stakeholders. Because as they say, people like to do business whom they know, who they trust, who they have confidence on. So it's very important that you build as a team and as an individual, you build that intimacy with your stakeholders. The fourth element of this equation, you know, is self-orientation, right? You know, we as procurement professionals normally are very excited if we see a million dollar savings on the table. Oh, I will <laughs> negotiate and get it. You know, it gets everyone, all of us excited, especially the procurement guys. But what's important is to understand what is it that your stakeholder needs. What are his needs? What are his wants? What is the objective that he is trying to accomplish? If you try and put his interest first, more important than your own self-interest, then it's likely to build that partnership, enhance that level of trust and partnership. So these are the four elements of the equation. And the fifth element, what I believe strongly is be authentic, be your own self, have your own style. You cannot copy someone else, but build your unique impression or your unique, let's say, way of operation which makes you unique compared to everybody else. And that gives you that authenticity when you are talking with the stakeholder. So to me, these are the five elements of how a, an individual and a team can become a trusted partner or path towards becoming a trusted partner for your business. Yeah. I like that you put things into equations, by the way. I think it's probably something that procurement doesn't do enough because you can really work your way through those. There's one area I wanted to follow up there. And talking about building subject matter expertise, it can kind of lend to credibility. Do you have any tips on how a procurement professional can build 
their subject matter expertise because I think sometimes people will default to sort of two things. One will be professional qualifications in the procurement space and you know, people have different views of whether that's worthwhile. And then secondly, it's normally on the job experience, but that on the job experience, they can sometimes, I guess, not feel like they're in control of that. They're not the masters of their own destiny. So I'd be, yeah, just intrigued from your perspective, Milan, there. We look at it from a skill set perspective or how we know of what you mentioned in terms of how we can build that subject matter expertise. One, I would say is widen your horizon. For us as procurement professionals, as supply chain professionals, you know, we've been at times being very narrow in terms of only looking at our world. We need to become strategic. You know, if you want to add value, we need to broaden our horizon. We need to, you know, span across functions, break silos and get everyone together. If you are able to develop that collaborative skills, if you are able to get everyone together in the room, connect the dots and complete the picture, you are automatically, your understanding of not just the procurement, but your understanding of the overall business and how you can impact that would improve. I know it's easier said than that. We have to take small step, think not just on if how is it that it will impact the cost. The question is, how is it that it will impact the organization? How is it that the stuff that I'm doing can help me improve the overall organization and help, you know, be it the revenue, be it the bottom line, right? So that's one mindset change that we need to do. But at the same time, it's also important to keep yourself abreast of what's going on in the industry. If you look at procurement, operating models as well have evolved. The procurement technology has evolved, right? So you have to keep yourself completely up to date with what's going on in the market, what the best in class practices are. And this comes in by a lot of reading, talking to a lot of people, subscribing to the industry journals. And more importantly, the way I learn it is talk to a lot of my suppliers. I ensure that I'll talk to them to continuously understand what's going in their part of the world. What is it that they see coming in? What are the challenges that they are facing and learn from them and try and see if we can bring it back into my world or learn from it and ensure that the learnings from them are shared with the team. And we as a team then become more learned about the overall external environment. Yeah, just your last point there of, of talking to your suppliers and learning from them. I almost feel like everyone defaults to talking to one another within procurement. And that's where we get that siloed mentality. And then it's very hard to build that trusted partnership, right, with the rest of the business. But just by going out to the suppliers, you made like a very good point of you find things out and you bring that information back and you distill it within your team. Like I've worked with a lot of suppliers. I've worked with hundreds of procurement people over the last seven years. I've really never seen that happen too often of people actually convey what they've learned. Do you have any techniques or ways of doing that? What can help your teammates and your, the people that report into you? What we do is something called as knowledge sharing sessions, you know, in these knowledge sharing. So this is once a month, a knowledge sharing session, wherein we would, there are one of the two things that we would do. One, we would invite someone from within the team who has done something really good or executed or successfully executed a good project or a program. We bring him, ask him to share his success story, what he learned and how would somebody else can learn from that. So that's one. What we also do is at times we do invite our suppliers on these calls to come and share with us their understanding of the business, of their environment, what they see is happening around and that's how we kind of ensure that the things are shared within the organization and within the team. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear actually, because knowledge management is an area that is probably neglected in almost every non-scientific profession. It's nice to hear you talk about that. Does, you're an engineer by qualifications, is that correct? 
That's correct. Yeah. So I'm an electronic engineer by qualification. Do you think that kind of changes your mindset or your approach to procurement compared to maybe use me as a comparison, someone who studied law, maybe just has a different way of looking at the world? So I would say yes, to an extent, but I've also studied procurement and supply chain. So I did my master's in procurement and supply chain. So I'm in this profession by design, but tend to agree with you that, you know, being an engineer, it has a little different orientation because being an engineer, you are always taught to see how to make things work, right? You know, when you are in an engineering thing or your things don't work out always on the first time and you keep trying, okay, you know, the circuit doesn't work. So what engineering teaches us is that ability not to give up or is that attitude of not giving up. And it also makes you a little more, you're thinking more mathematical, which may not all the time be right. But yeah, at least when we talk about procurement, I think it really helps being numerical. It improves your numerical ability and your ability to be a little more critical in your thinking. So it does help, but I don't think it's a must have because I do have, in my team or people who I work with who are not profession are not engineers by profession, but they do an equally good job at what they do. Yeah, it was just sort of a side there just popped into my mind. It was interesting to explore. I've worked with some, I know that your story is slightly different in that you've gone into procurement from the very outset and have had an incredible career. And I've also worked with people who have been engineers for you know, 20 years and then decided, oh, actually, I quite like this buy-in part. And they've always had a slightly different outlook on their approach. And it's just always fascinated me as to whether there's something there. Milind, can we talk about your approach to value creation, becoming a trusted partner within the organizations that you've worked in throughout your career? And I'm going to go broad here to give you some breathing space and kind of approach this however you want. But how have you been able to build value, become a trusted partner? And have there been any hurdles, challenges that listeners are potentially facing that you've already dealt with, hopefully? It's a journey. Being a trusted partner and a value creator is a journey and it's not like you switch on and off. The way we did it or the way I start, I did it was step one was basically an assessment of where do I stack or where does the organization stand. So if you look at the procurement maturity curve, it starts with at the very basic or a preliminary level, it starts with at the right at the bottom of the pyramid in terms of just doing procurement ops or just cutting the POs, right? Just ensuring that what I call it as supply, yeah. right? Then you move up in the maturity curve, which is where you do price reduction or purchase cost reduction, right? Just looking at the price. So you ensure supply, you ensure that you have the right price. Then you move up the value chain, which is in terms of looking at a TCO reduction, right? Look at cost modelings, look at cost breakdown analysis, look at supply market analysis, look at supply planning. So that the next level of the maturity curve that you move in. The next step would be is where you really manage the demand, right? Once you know what's the price, once you know what you are buying, from whom you are buying, you try and see, can you really curtail the demand? Can you manage the demand better? Which means, can you manage the specification? Can you reduce the the requirement by itself. Because remember, when we talk about reductions or when you talk about costs, 70% of the reduction happens or 70% of the opportunity lies in managing the demand, right? And not in, you know, and the savings are only, you possibly will get is when you are lucky, let's say, a 25, 30%, a worst case scenario or a best case scenario, right? If you've done a very shabby job earlier, then you might get a 30% cost reduction, which is highly unlikely in majority of the cases. But the range of the savings is 5% to 10%, which procurement would generally deliver. But the big chunk of savings can come in. And this is where you take the organizational view is comes in from demand management. Can you reduce the demand? Can you buy something different? Can you consolidate and make your specifications simpler, right? So that's the second last piece of being the, of the maturity curve. And then the the highest is where you add value. You know, I look is value management, where you start looking at the entire value chain, not just the supply chain, but the entire value chain from an organizational perspective and end-to-end in terms of how is it that you can 
collaborate and co-create with your suppliers. How is it that you can help deliver more revenue, right? We as procurement guys, we always look at, oh, I'm responsible for delivering the bottom line. No, you can also help deliver or enhance the revenue, right? Because you, if you collaborate well with your suppliers, and if you are able to kind of use your supply base by acting as a conduit between the organization, between the supplier and your customer, you can use the innovation of your suppliers to one, bring in innovative products and services in the market and have that agility in the current business situation, which allows you to adapt to the changing business conditions, to the market conditions, or even customer preferences will change. And if you have that ability you know, to bring all of them together, then you are able to respond much faster to the market environment, right? So for me, it starts with assessing where you are, start defining goals that you want to accomplish, start aligning with your company's objective, right? As we said at the start, two people will, or two organizations will look at value completely differently. So it's very important when you start designing your procurement operating model or procurement strategy, you need to have on the paper is what is it that the company is trying to accomplish? What are the company objectives? What are the company goals? And align the goals, procurement goals in line with the company objectives. So then you are adding or enabling the company or enabling the organization to move forward. In the process, yes, you will have hurdles because if you go and tell someone tomorrow, I want to help you increase revenue, go and tell the sales guy, I want to help you increase the revenue. <laughs> you say, oh, guys, that's my job is to go and sell, not your job, right? But that's not what you want to do. What you want to do is go and sit with him and tell him what are the challenges that you are facing from the competition, as an example. Where is it that we can help you sell or help you enable you sell more, right? So those are the conversations that you need to have and believe me, they don't have, you know, the perception of the internal stakeholders don't change overnight. You need to build that reliability. You need to build that credibility. And over a period, when you bring an idea onto the table, they will say, if he's saying it, there has to be some sense or something visible there, right? So then they become more receptive to it. So that's the approach that we've taken. We've gone step by step. We started expanding the stuff that we did over a period of time. And now I can say that we are at a stage where we are not doing just demand management or to that level, but we are at a stage where we work with our business so closely that we help them, you know, identify or define new services that we could sell in the market. We could, you know, in terms of through early involvement, we look at ways where we can design the products which are more efficient and which will be more profitable and which are more easier possibly to sell in the market as well. So it's a continuous process of learning, unlearning and relearning, I would say, that we adopt to be able to continuously add value to the business. I feel like the situation that you're in is so aspirational for so many people. You've just laid a very nice framework to get there. And perhaps it is overcomplicated in some areas or it feels, to contradict that, it feels so demanding. Just on the point of alignment, you mentioned aligning procurement goals with business goals. Is there any practical ways to absolutely nail this? Is it you know, setting up OKRs that flow down through the business? I'd be really intrigued to hear that because, and maybe Milan, I'll give you some perspective. I've worked, consulted for a bunch of clients. And I mean, for one, the business had very loose goals, if any, and procurement had none. They were just running and just, you know, doing what procurement does in the traditional sense of we're going to try and save money and we're going to try and keep parts coming in or bits coming in so that we make our products. And like you say, you talk to a lot of people to try and figure things out and learn. And I still have conversations with people and their world feels like the world that I've just described to you. How can they change their world here? Unfortunately, there is no one size fits all. Sure. As I said, I think for me, what has worked or for us, what has worked is we go and ask the business, what is 
that you are trying to accomplish this year? What are your goals? Believe me, I, the goal that I have for my team, so as an example, one of the teams that we support very extensively is the services organization. And my team has a goal that you have to help services team accomplish their goals, period. That's it. So this is if your respective services team accomplishes the goals, you accomplish it. If they don't accomplish it, you don't accomplish it or I don't accomplish it, right? So by making their goals the same as the business goals, it drives a different orientation altogether. Now the team is not thinking about savings, but the team is thinking about how can I help my geography that I'm responsible for to achieve their numbers. What is it that I can do? And when we talk about achieving the numbers, we are talking about everything. We are talking about the revenue lot, the top line, the bottom line, the cash flow, all those matrices which are measured at a global level, which then percolates down at a regional level, team then starts thinking like a business leader and not a procurement leader. So as they say, what you measure gets improved upon, right? So you have to define the goals in a way that allows your team to think in that fashion and also i communicate this to my business stakeholders as well that my team's goal is to help you achieve your goal so they know that my team will do everything in their capacity to help them achieve their objective so that as well drives a different level of collaboration then it's we are not looked at as an external or someone who is a different function but we are considered as an extended team of the business leaders. So we, my idea yeah. is my direct reports sit on the extended teams of those executive leaders. So they are part of their leadership team. So they sit there on their team meetings as a part of their team member. Even though we are procurement, they don't report to him the, that person directly, but they are on their team meetings. They are as part of their business strategic discussions because they believe that, yes, we will be able to give them that additional perspective and help them achieve their business goals. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm going to try not to ask too many more questions about that because we could just, I could talk to you for hours, Milind, already. I can just tell because the way in which you think about procurement, you think about it uniquely. That's great. But you're also executing on it, which is wonderful to hear. I was just going to make an observation that people often talk about sort of the embedded non or centralized procurement argument. I think what you're displaying and talking about is probably the best outcome in that people do report centrally, but they have the freedom to go off and deliver for other parts of your business and they're included within those teams. It's incredible. Milind, I'm going to, as we start to, to wind up this episode, I'm just going to ask maybe a slightly different question here, which is what sort of trends do you anticipate happening? Maybe over the next six months, 12 months, I'll let you define your time period there might affect the procurement landscape and more importantly, how we approach procurement. In terms of trends, I think we would see a lot of things happening our next few months or years. First and foremost, I believe, is the geopolitical tension that would change the landscape of supply chains completely, right? If you look at the Joe Biden's administration, the policy of French shoring, right, what they call it as, you know, wherein you could do business with the so-called friends would redefine the supply chain, completely the supply chain landscape. So I think that's one factor which is going to have play a big role in terms of how we manage our supply chains, from where we source, how we source, all of that will change. It's not just about the low-cost country sourcing strategy, which has worked so well for most of our sessions over the last couple of decades. That will have to be relooked. So I see that as one big change that would come in, and we all need to be ready for that. Believe me, it's not changing overnight, or it's not changing over the next couple of years. It is going to be a long-term process, which is there. But we already see the impact of that happening, right? I was reading somewhere that Apple manufactures 98% of their iPhones in China. And if they have to move, it will take them eight years if they have to just move 8% or 10% of that volume out of China. 
So you can imagine the yeah. kind of implication that comes in if the French shoring policy is executed in its full spirit. So that's one piece which I believe is going to strongly impact. Second, I believe, is technology, digitalization. And I'm sure all of us have heard enough of technology. That is, there are so many tools available in the market. And at some point, I got fed up of it. And I said, guys, this is enough. We can't just spend time evaluating technologies because there are so many of them that are coming, that are available in the market. But I believe technology will make life simpler for all of us. And we need to be adapting to that technology. For us as well, I think it has been a bit of a slow adoption of technology. We've been doing a wait and watch kind of thing because by the time you evaluate one technology or one tool, when you take six months and by then you see, oh, there's something new already in the market. So the pace of change is so very high that it's overwhelming. But at some point, I guess technology will play a big role or is already playing a big role in terms of how procurement is managed because I strongly believe that as procurement becomes more and more relevant, the ask would be to do more with less. We're not going to get additional people. We are not going to get additional headcount. And that's yeah. where technology would come into the picture. And the third piece, which I believe is talent. You know, if you look at it over at least this year, we've had a very, I would say, a very unique situation, which I haven't seen in my career so far. One is you have lack of talent. Then you have the layoffs coming in. And then you have the whole imbalances which are there. It's a very different, it's a very unique situation. You, there's a lot of people, a lot of people being laid off, but you don't get what you want in the market, right? So that the skills and the talent that you need. So managing talent is going to be the key aspect which would make or break the future supply chain organizations. And within that, I also believe, strongly believe, upskilling your existing workforce is going to be the key aspect because some of the roles that are existing today, you know, a simple buyer role or a simple analyst role, that is going to get replaced by technology. Yeah. I'm with you. So it's very important that we start upskilling our people so as not to make them redundant and also then to use their expertise of what they have done manually to do something better, to do more value-add stuff. There are three really good trends that have been on my mind as well. And I particularly like your point about upskilling. I don't hear that being spoken about enough. We talk about tech coming in and arguably automating elements, but we kind of forget about the people that will be potentially implicated. You spoke of two roles there and I'm with you. That's kind of been my view for the last four years or so. Those roles will be the first to go and they've already gone from some places already. So uh, definitely true there. Milind, we're just going to go into really quick fire because I'm super conscious of the time and I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions here. So what's one piece of tech you cannot live without? So today, I think ERP, SAP, Oracle is our backbone. And I think we just cannot live without them from a source to settle perspective. And the very last question, I'm a procurement genie. You have one wish. What would that wish be? I wish procurement and supply chain becomes more sought after discipline by the new generation, because I would love to see people coming into this profession by design and not by accident or by compulsion, because that's been the case for the generation of people who are in. Because I strongly believe this field is very exciting. It provides opportunity for people to grow. It provides an opportunity for individuals to make an impact on the organization, make an impact on the people, make an impact on the planet, and make an impact on the society as a whole. So I strongly believe we need more people who are trained supply chain professionals to elevate the importance of the function within the organization. Milind, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming by today. Thank you so much, Daniel. Pleasure. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. 
To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.